With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Good to have your company. Just getting back to our chat box for a second. One here from Chris who says, Tony Blair is a liar. He's one of the most corrupt, self-serving prime ministers in UK's history. He's also a Klaus Schwab acolyte. That's certainly something we can prove. With his uh, closet nose in the trough of all the nefarious projects that Schwab gates and King Biggie's Charlie are up to. How um, how unkind. How close to the truth is that? And one here from Boiler Room. Like a Dr. Zeus novel, they have all dined on green eggs and ham. Thank you so much for all of that. Uh, I was talking in the first hour, mainly with Ed Martin, about the collapse of wind turbine farms, especially offshore farms and projects, and also the electric vehicle industry. So much demand, so much supply, not enough demand. Well, add another to that, and some of you may have already heard this, but this is out of Detroit. Tesla is recalling nearly all vehicles sold in the United States, more than 2 million, to update software and fix a defective system that's supposed to ensure drivers are paying attention when using autopilot. Documents posted on Wednesday by US safety regulators say the update will increase warnings and alerts to drivers and even limit the areas where basic versions of autopilot can operate. The recall comes after a two-year investigation by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration into a series of crashes that happened while the autopilot partially automated driving system, whilst the driving system was in place, some were deadly. Uh, The agency says its investigation found autopilot's method of making sure that drivers are paying attention can be inadequate and can lead to foreseeable misuse of the system. Uh, The added controls and alerts will further encourage the driver to adhere to their continuous driving responsibility, the document said. But safety experts said that while the recall is a good step, it still makes the driver responsible and doesn't fix the underlying problem that Tesla's automated systems have with spotting and stopping for obstacles in their path. If you've got a car that wants to go on autopilot, great, knock yourself out. But it's the fact that it's going to knock a lot of other people out because they can't detect obstacles in their way. If they're not detecting 100% of their obstacles, what good are they? And what good is autopilot in any Tesla vehicle? I know a lot of people who rave about the technology in Teslas. Oh, it's so much fun. And then the doors in some of the models open the opposite direction. Oh, I, I hear people talk about it. And I think technology, gee, there are so many car manufacturers today that have enormous technology. You don't need an electric vehicle to get the technological buzz, especially when the technological buzz may kill someone. The recall covers models Y, S, 3 and X produced between October 5, 2012 and December 7 of this year. The update was to be sent to certain affected vehicles on Tuesday 
You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. (laughs) The world is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Sure. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Take us back in time, and who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the President. Why is it that they go after me so hard, and why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming President of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's gonna protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat, people will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The fall of deceit at SalemNow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. A little gremlin stepped over my computer. My apologies for all of that, but um, we're back and it's good to have your company. Don't forget we stream video now. So if you are listening to TNTRadio.live, that's great. But on the app, you can actually go to Watching Live, and on the website, you can do the same thing. You can do so on Facebook. You can do so on Zoom, X, Rumble, Odyssey, you name it. 
and uh, we can be in your face, uh, as it were. Both audio and video coming to you from TNT Radio Live in 2023. Now, I've got a former award-winning radio newsman about to join us on the program, a former talkback host from two top Australian commercial stations, Radio 2GB and Radio 2UE, and I'm sure I've got Australian listeners who remember him well. Jason Morrison, welcome to TNT Radio. Hey, Chris, g'day. I've got a little gremlin keeping us on air right now. He's uh, he's 10 years old and he's holding this as still as anything for us on the, on the banks of the Hawkesbury River in, uh, in New South Wales. So uh, thank you to my little gremlin. You've got your own crew operating. I love it. On the banks of the Hawkesbury River, you're having a great day out. Oh, mate, it's spectacular. I mean, this truly is. Um, I mean, I wish I could show you more, but this is, is really one of the, the gems of uh, particularly New South Wales, but of just uh, of just uh, the, the country, this amazing river that's right on the edge of Sydney. And I spend a lot of time here. And uh, and, and I look at it often, and it is rem- a reminder of, um, you know, the greatness that built this country because the bridge that you might be able to see in the very distance here, if we didn't have that bridge, that Brooklyn Bridge, we probably wouldn't have the economy that we have. And I, I look at that bridge and think to myself all the time, the daring and boldness of, of the era of politicians and, and engineering and citizens back then who connected the states up. And if they hadn't crossed the Hawkesbury River, I mean, Queensland and New South Wales wouldn't be dealing with each other because yeah. that is such a pivotal link in connection. It was so pivotal and so important that even during the Second World War, uh, they had uh, battleships up here waiting for the Japs because they were so worried that they would strike that bridge and take it out. It was so strategically important and it still stands today and it's still as magnificent today as it was when it was opened and built. I've got to think about that bridge in a whole different way when I next drive over it after that little uh, historic dissertation. I love it. Thank you. Uh, Now, my friend, the unproven rape of Brittany Higgins inside Canberra's Parliament House just keeps on giving. Today at this defamation case, which is being waged by the accused man, Bruce Lerman, um, TV host Lisa Wilkinson let rip. Now, it depends on what uh, news publication you read, but she's accused Coalition Minister Lisa Reynolds of lying to the parliament. She was seething about the fact that there was no one in the house who cared for her after Higgins woke up in the house the morning after her alleged rape. Um, none of this, though, goes to the key issue. This is so tan, you know, off on a tangent because they have to defend, Channel 10 that is, and so does Lisa Wilkinson, that the rape actually took place and that the story that she covered, I think this is where the prosecution's going with it. I think she's got to be, you know, trying to convince the court that she was unbiased and she can't do that. Yeah, she can't because she is, and she has shown herself from uh, pretty much every step of the way to be it. Certainly what the viewers saw, they have been seeing her be, uh, if you want, the advocate more than the reporter, Yeah, and she held this sort of mantle uh, as being, um, you know, kind of like the, 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 the partner in, in this story, which is not the role of a reporter. Um, I I find it interesting. I, I still don't know that it's going as well for Bruce Learman, perhaps as as he would like it to, because remember that this is a civil case, and in the civil case, uh, you know, if I can use parallels to Ben Robert Smith, which there are none, but I just use as an example, um, it's a balance of probability argument. Yeah, you know, balance of probability did something happen? I mean, on the balance of probability, did something happen in that office that night? I mean, what do you think? What do I think? Uh, I think on the balance of probability, something did, but I don't know what it was. Um, did a rape occur? That's a big step. 
the issue for Lisa is credibility. And I think she blew herself apart yesterday, particularly, when, you know, a journalist of some standing, and, and she is and she was, and Chris, I think both of us have worked with her at some stage or another. Um, we know she's no fool. To claim that in 40 years of being a, a, a journalist, an editor, uh, a television host, a breakfast TV host, a radio host, um, married to... A, a prominent journalist, even if a painful one, um, she is <laughs> to claim she has never been taught about contempt. I mean, can we say bullshit? Yes, because exactly. Total only, BS. And look, it's a bit like saying I've had a driver's license for 50 years, but nobody has ever taught me what speed can do on the roads. <laughs> yes. Stupid as that. If you're a journalist, I mean, goodness me, if you're a talkback radio caller, you know what the boundaries are you know where you're going too far into what a court can determine and judge and prejudging an outcome. So, I mean, you've got to think, there she is sitting two metres away from a judge and he seems to be um, a very fair fella, the, ju the judge on this case, the federal court judge, not to say that some of them aren't, but this is someone who hasn't shown me his colours on this story yet because I, some of them do give it away pretty early in the game where they think it's going. This guy's not bad. He's, he's giving every witness a lot of fairness and helping them clarify their gobbledygook answers. Mm. And, and I think when he heard that yesterday, he probably just went, from this point on, I worry about what other so-called truths I am hearing. Because yeah. for someone of that experience to have, make that, that claim, uh, that's either very damning or it's very dishonest. Yeah, you, you're totally correct. And that was the thing that was glaringly obvious yesterday, um, which may taint what she says today. It may taint what she says again on Monday if she's called back in. I want to talk about the eminent historian, Jeffrey Blaney. Um, I actually like Jeffrey Blaney. I've got a couple of books of his, um, one, I'm, one in which um, is basically the history of the world, which I've read twice. Um, <laughs> he says Australia is not ready this time for a 50s migrant surge like we witnessed. Um, but the rates of immigration now, as you know, it's like a runaway train. There's yeah. some long-term view that we've got to cut it in half. Well, that's long-term. The numbers from this year and uh, for the next few years are astronomical. There will be some reckoning here, won't there? Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Blaney's point is excellent. He said that when we populated or perished under Menzies back in the 50s when he pushed that to Australians and Australians looked around and said, you know, he's got a point. We're a country that was far less governed by red tape. We were far less bureaucrat led. We were, we were a nation at the time which if it wanted to do something, we had proven in the Second World War we were capable of it. I mean, I'm just he's talking about these amazing bridges here. These things got built urgently because they were required. They got built because we had a nation to build. Now everything we do, we screw around, we find reasons not to, we invite every simple interest group and small interest group in the country to have a view on something. We try our guts out to find reasons not to do things. And so Blaney's point was in the 50s when we, when we skyrocketed immigration, we were a nation that was very capable of building an entire state of public housing. Uh, building entire suburbs, building entire cities. We were capable of that. We can't do anything now without no. a million reasons why not. And there's his problem. Now, I don't know, and, and I think about this often, I, 
Jim Chalmers, who just embarrasses himself, a man with the word doctor in front of his name, embarrasses himself every time he gas bags on about this, that we're catching up on lost opportunity during COVID. COVID actually was our big opportunity to kind of hit pause and to look around and say, what are the things not working in this country? Mm. And one of the things that wasn't working was the property market. One of the things that wasn't working was the housing situation. We, we had huge problems. We could foresee it. Simple numbers proved that. We did nothing. We did nothing. And now all we've done is we, we hit pause during COVID and we've hit fast forward during 2023 and we're at this un, un, unbearable situation. I mean, I was at the airport, Sydney airport the other day, which unfortunately is mostly where people who come to a nation arrive. I mean, they're not, in fairness to Queensland and Adelaide and Perth, they're not necessarily going straight there. They're coming to Sydney yeah. and to Melbourne first. These cities are not capable. Even our airport can't go. And we've just hit fast forward at the very wrong time and we're actually doing material damage to the point where, you know, there will be people, Australians. I mean, when I say Australians, I'm not talking skin colour or any stupid thing like that. I'm talking about people who are from this country who will spend Christmas in camper vans, not mm. because they're on holidays, because that's where they live. Mm. And in tents on the, on the banks of a river in Queensland, I mean, the One Nation Senator, uh, Senator Roberts, he showed photographs of it today. There are Australian families living in tents. And this is considered to be a good thing for the nation, bringing in 700,000 people and add another two or 300 next year. They'll never be honest about the numbers. And the reason they'll never be honest is because they never have the courage to ask us if we're A-OK with it, because yep. I know what the answer is. Yeah, it's very true. Very different nation. And if you think back, you know, some of us may have to ask our parents about it, but it was a time of, you know, off the sheep's back. We had so many needs in terms of different sectors that we have to build up. We needed tens of thousands of workers, as it turned out, hundreds of thousands of workers at that time. It's not the same right now. And we certainly don't have the infrastructure to look after that many people. And while we're on it, while you're talking about the state of the nation, the economy that we face right around the world, but also in particular in Australia, which is not going in the direction of the US and the UK at the moment in terms of interest rates going down. Yeah. Um, uh, an Australian mother has spoken out about how her family is struggling with the, with the soaring cost of living, despite the Reserve Bank boss insisting that households and businesses are in pretty good shape. They might be in great shape where she lives at Mossman. Another comment from a Redbridge study said on the PM, I just don't see a lot of action on cost of living pressures. This gets back to your comment about Dr. Jim Chalmers. He's MIA, referring to Albo. Like, it's one thing to screw the economy, which they've done. It's another thing to show nothing in terms of action about helping the people who are doing it tough. Complete disregard for it. It's, uh, the other day, they came out with their economic forecast, mid-year economic forecast, and they're boasting about how good it is. I tell you why it's good. It's good because of Gina Reinhart and Andrew Forrest and BHP and Rio yes. Tinto. That's why it's good because they're digging iron ore out. You know that horrible industry that everyone in the world seems to despise, mining, that thankfully we have in Australia? Um, they are the reasons we are doing well at the moment, because they're giving this government bucket loads of cash and export dollars. And Port Hedland is the cash register of Australia. And yet here, here we have this guy who will, in one hand, tell you these mining companies are doing so well, 
we've got to do something about it. We can't have this level of this, the environmental destruction, et cetera, et cetera. On the other hand, is saying, yippee, look at the money we're in. We've got the books in such a great shape. Mm. Well, when I see governments boasting about having surpluses at a time when we have astronomical, uncontrollable, unthinkable amounts of debt in Australia, I, I just wonder what planet he's on. Yeah. And you know, to, to the comments of, of, of that mother, I saw a stat today the Commonwealth Bank put out, and it, it takes ABS data and it takes uh, economic data and whatever else, and it, it does comparisons uh, to, to situations. And it looked at what it believes is the amount of money going in tax to the government versus the amount of money going into the household budget. Guess what? In the cost of living crisis, where prices are rising, where electricity prices are skyrocketing, where petrol's going through the roof, the government is taking a greater share now than at any time in the last decade. Just just think about just think about the hypocrisy yeah. of these clowns pretending they can hear our pain and they know what our worries are and yeah. they know what's going on. They don't nor do they care. Yeah, exactly. Listen, former PM Scott Morrison, he's not afraid to stick his nose in the performance of the government, which I guess in a way he's entitled to do. He says, with Australia abandoning the United States and voting for another ceasefire in Gaza with the United Nations, we risk losing trust. Um, and then you've got that other situation where the United States is asking the Prime Minister and the Defence Minister to supply a destroyer uh, to have some kind of multinational um armada in the red sea uh to protect israeli ships this is a decision that of course will have to be made in the coming days um that may also mean that we abandon the united states as well it says a lot more about the dna of labor the labor government in australia than it says about the um the issues that we should have voted on and a lot about their governing immaturity that you, you can't separate these two issues. They, they are, you know, and they're geographically not that far apart, but they are politically worlds apart. We're talking about the politics of the Middle East and we're talking about maintaining our great relations and they've got to be great relations with our most strategically important ally and that's the United States. Um, can I deal with the Red Sea issue yeah. first? Because I, I do want to separate them, although they're not separate. The Red Sea situation is a real quandary because we're, we're asking, we're being asked, along with 35, 39 other countries, to commit naval resources to this. We don't actually have ships that I would feel confident to send into a, a, a water-based guerrilla warfare situation mm. with terrorists who go out and putt-putts with rocket grenade propeller i don't i don't think we are ready for that i mean look take the hobart class frigates um they don't have sufficient firepower on board to be able to meet what the americans are already having one american ship has had to fire 22 times now i don't think i'm giving the game away because i think it's publicly available information some of our ships only have 35 missiles on board yes so, so we, we have 22 20 22 you know jihadis come come rocketing towards you and you, you you've got to you've got to be out in the middle of the red sea in the most politically hot environment and militarily hot environment in the world and you're going to take yourself to below half well below half of missiles to come back to australia and we don't exactly have great resources to refuel at sea missiles that is um there's that point 
And and then you go looking and say, hang on, last I looked, we had a bit of an issue coming down on us from our north right now that we have a big interest in protecting, and that is making sure our trade routes are safe, are clear, are Chinese-free. Uh, we've got a problem because we're, we're a buck each way on everything here. But here's your other issue. America, I mean, we've got to be with them. We've got no choice but to be with them. I agree. We've got to back them. And yeah. – and that includes on Israel. Mm. And all we've done in this last week is, well, we've sent a horrific message to the world about Australia's attitudes to the only real democracy that exists in the Middle East and our ally, Israel. We've sent a horrible message to what our views are about America's decisions and America's position, which you know is very clearly in line with where Israel is right now, the elimination of Hamas. And what kind of dropkick thinks you can have a ceasefire with Hamas? Mm. I mean, you, you have a ceasefire with Hamas, they refuel, they restock, and they, they go after the Jews again because they hate the Jews. It's, mm. it's, it's just as simple as that. And, and I, I look and I think to myself, how have we got such naive people in such key positions so quickly? It was only a political generation ago we had a foreign minister who you know is still regarded as one of the finest orators of international politics in the world, that being Downer. And we've gone from that, we've gone through Rudd, we've had Bob Carr, and we're now into Penny Wong. I can't even remember who the foreign minister was for the Liberals the last time around. It's not a chicken noodle portfolio. It's a really important one. And we're getting chicken noodle outcomes from these people, and it really deeply worries me that feel-good views that are being pumped around at the moment are just making them feel good and are making the rest of the world very nervous about Australia. I think you're making a great deal of sense about that. And and then there's the consideration that you can absolutely guarantee the Labor Party will use, which is, oh, do we make ourselves a target for terrorism again? Let's not get involved. Let's be Switzerland. Let's abandon the United States. That will be some of what will be decided within Cabinet as well. But anyway, um, I've run out of time. We could talk about that for another half an hour. Mate, you've been fabulous. Thank you so much at short notice and jumping onto the program. Uh, Great insight as usual. And Thank you very much to your young 10-year-old crew member. <laughs> All the very best on the Hawkesbury. How's that, how's that sunburn looking? It looks like it's cooking there. <laughs> the, studio, the studio lights uh, that are up there burning me like nothing else. Look at that. <laughs> See you later, mate. All I love it, mate. Thank you very much. Chris, to you. I mean, you know what about, but congrats, mate. I'm, uh, I'm tremendously proud of you. I really am. Good on you, Jason. Thank you very much. I appreciate that much uh, greatly. You. Thank you. Good on you. Jason Morrison there um, from... Uh, Well, basically, he's just left Channel 7. He's doing lots for other radio networks. Uh, I've seen him on at least one radio network. He fills in for uh, Alan Jones at times on ADH.TV as well. So a a classic all-rounder, an award-winning newsman, and great to have his insight on the program today as well. I want to get back to callers straight after a break, and then we'll get to Shane Healy to ascertain what's been going on in Denmark and Germany with the rest of nine alleged terrorists. We'll find out the connections to Hamas and what it means for the rest of the world. If you'd like to phone in, you can do so from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. Or from Australia and New Zealand, one 800 670 310. Let's get some news for you and then take some calls on TNT Radio. 
We do have some big news. Listen up. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The White House has confirmed President Biden was well aware of his son Hunter's plan to ignore this week's congressional subpoena. Donald Trump has accused President Biden of riding on the coattails of his success in the White House. We're now being told that we as humans are worsening the impacts of climate change simply by breathing. And as the war in Ukraine enters its 660th day, Russia claims to have thwarted yet another drone strike on Moscow. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk, TNT Radio. Let's go to Andrew, who's phoned through. I think he's got an update on the Barney that he was having with uh, security and also those in charge of Parliament House in Canberra. Go ahead, Andrew. G'day, Smithy. Yeah, we we, uh, we could take an hour on this. I met with uh, James O'Brien, who heads up security for mm-hmm. the security side of uh, Australia Parliament House, Commander uh, Pip Connell, who is in charge of the entire parliamentary precinct as well as the Governor-General's house. And I had a representative there from um, the security who I've known for four or five years, and he is a he's on the committee for the ACT government for disability inclusion, uh, Parliament House. So um, we spoke a lot. Uh, I, Pip admitted that they got a lot wrong that day. Um, that mm-hmm. was the close, closest I got to an apology. I said, this used to be my safest place in the world to come, and now it's not. And she said, well, we want you to feel safe again, that it is a safe place for you. I was, she said, I've got a couple of things for you. And I said, oh, how big's the check? And she chuckled. And she came back with um, leads for each of my dogs, a collar for each of my dogs, a kilo of smackos and a bag of pig's ears. Hang on, hang on. A kilo of smackos? Yep. And uh, they're not the best things for dogs, but... um, and she came back and I, and I said, I was serious about that check. You do realise that it's $10,000 per incident that you violated my human rights. She said, no, I didn't know that. But some other good things that came out of it was that they're talking about uh, improving their training and possibly including me in that training. Uh, and they said that what they want to ensure is that everybody is all on the same page and understands the law and legislation and also that um, they it can go to the next people who come into those positions. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. They also discussed a disability liaison officer and <clears throat> James said, Andrew, I'm really interested in that. I want to know more about that. So I've got to refer him to a DLO that I know in the ACT Magistrates Court. It seems talk. ridiculous that a place like Federal Parliament House in Australia would not have a disability liaison officer. Absolutely, Chris. This is our house. It's the people's house. It's not the governor's house. The government's house. It's yeah. our house. We put them there through our votes. We've got to get this government to realise no more dominance. It's governance. And you govern on our behalf. You don't dominate us. You govern on our behalf. And uh, I'm hopeful that we'll get a resolution out of this and things will improve. 
Um, you should. You probably best if you want to see a system work. You're probably best being part of the training process, or at least some of the processes that uh, they aim to improve. Absolutely, and they've and I suggested that, and they said yes, we'd definitely look at it. The other thing I hope that comes out of this, because it happened in Parliament House, and everyone's talking about it. There's a lady that they want to introduce me to, Kelly, who's the. Um, security controller she's on holidays at the moment but when i went back to parliament house today to see how it was treated because everybody spoke to me by name and addressed me by name mm -hmm. because that's one of the things i picked up a, a, a ap um, officer on uh, and that was she kept calling me mate and i said i don't know you from a bar of soap i'm not your mate call me sir or andrew well i'm sorry andrew and then she went out and called me mate again she goes, oh, sorry, it's the way I speak. Well, it's very disrespectful, right? Until we break the law, Chris, you know the police have no authority over us until we break the law. But some of them, and they don't know the law, but they, they dig themselves such a hole that they just keep digging. And I've got a badge and a gun, a gun and I've got all the authority. Well, I'm sorry. I don't get bullied anymore, Chris, by anyone since I was 10 and that happened to me in the Catholic education system. And I mm. said to, to Pip yesterday, I said, will I be treated that way if I get elected into the Senate? Because I'm going to work my ass off now to ensure that I do get elected because this has got to change. This is just not acceptable. Mm. And she agreed. And Well, it was constructive by the sound of it. And when's the next absolutely. meeting or is there any other meeting or do they get back to you? Yeah, there will be... Um, I've got to follow up with some information and I also want to email points that we covered and including the compensation level because that FOIA was full. It was the day of the apology to the thalidomide survivors and, and yeah. Yeah. So that was entirely full and everyone looked at me when these two officers grabbed me by the arms to escort me out of that, our house. Mm. And it is our house. Mm. You know, um, and and... I went back today to see if I was treated the same and they knew, they're watching the cameras and they knew as soon as I got the security that I was in the building and I was on my way up. Yep. So that's okay. a positive thing too. That, that is. I've got to run, mate. I've got a special better. guest on the program and uh, he's been I waiting promise. for 10 minutes. But great to get your call and great to get a, what seems to be a constructive, not solution, but certainly a constructive communication with them. Yeah, and I'll keep you informed. Please do. Good on you, Andrew. Have a great weekend. Bye. Thank you, mate. There you go. Uh, Andrew is getting somewhere with um, the issue that he's having with those at Parliament House. I just want to tell you about what the Epoch Times is running this afternoon in Australia about Alan Jones, one of our contributors on the program. A legal letter sent to nine newspapers claims some journalists were green-eyed over Alan Jones's rise to prominence, which has resulted in demonstrably false allegations in a series of articles over the past week. In a concerns notice sent to the editors of the Nine Entertainment-owned Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, lawyer Mark O'Brien said the allegations made against Mr Jones were false and had no basis in fact. This follows the publication of a series of articles alleging that Mr Jones indecently assaulted six young men without their consent. Um... 
the lawyer, Mark O'Brien, said, over many years, certain journalists employed by Nine newspapers have been resentful of our client's prominence as a commentator on many political and cultural issues, and the malicious and concocted allegations giving rise to the imputations constitute a concerted attempt to destroy our client's reputation. In the concerns notice, the first step in the commence commencement of defamation proceedings Mr. O'Brien demanded the articles be removed from their website and for the media group to publish a front page apology. apology. Additionally, Mr. O'Brien said both compensation and legal costs be covered by Nine's newspapers. In response, Tory Maguire, executive editor of the SMH, The Age, as well as the Brisbane Times and WA Today, said in a statement, we stand by Kate McClymont's diligent and thorough reporting on this matter and stand ready to defend this important public interest journalism on all fronts. The showdown has begun. Well, are we about to witness the Middle Eastern war going on at the moment, spewing out into the West. This is not a good sign. Four members of the Islamist militant group Hamas have been detained on suspicion of planning attacks on Jewish institutions in Europe. According to German prosecutors, three of the suspects were detained in Berlin and another was detained in the Netherlands. All four have been long-standing members of Hamas with close links to the leadership of the group's military branch. One of the accused, according to prosecutors, had allegedly been tasked by Hamas leaders in Lebanon with sourcing weapons. The weapons were due to be taken to Berlin and kept at the ready for potential terrorist attacks against Jewish institutions. Meanwhile, Danish authorities have also arrested three men with links to Hamas, who police allege were planning a terror attack. Now, there's no confirmation as to whether the two cases have any connection. To discuss this and where this war is up to, I'm joined as usual by former ADF intelligence officer Shane Healy. Shane enlisted in the Australian Army back in 1995. He worked as a private contractor in Iraq from 2004. He then re-enlisted in the Australian Army in 2009 as a member of the Australian Intelligence Corps. He's been deployed twice to Afghanistan. Back in Australia, he's also been part of the Tactical Assault Group, where he was involved in several real-time terrorist incidents. He joins us from Sydney. Shane Healy, welcome back to TNT Radio. Good afternoon, Chris. How are you going? Doing very well. These arrests in Europe, they're a worry. What is the theory behind Hamas taking this conflict to Jewish landmarks in Europe? So we've got to go back a little bit. If you remember when the Syrian crisis uh, started in 2013, there was that massive refugee caravan and open borders in Belgium and, and the Netherlands. So this is a flow-on effect of that. We've seen a number of terrorist attacks uh, over the years, as recently as a couple of months ago, in those areas. Um, so there is a, a really big uh, Salafist extremist group in those areas, and this is just the latest group. How... Uh, uh, affects Hamas. They're all in it together, as we've previously discussed. They've all got the same kind of outcomes. An enemy of my enemy is my friend. It is certain that the uh, Hamas leadership in Lebanon have been uh, giving some uh, instructions of what to do, because again, it's about making the West pay. And that goes back to all of those groups' uh, ideology. Does it necessarily engender support, uh, you know, creating and carrying out terror attacks on Jewish Western targets? 
It just goes back to, and if you remember the original terrorist incident was the Munich Olympics. Um, yeah. And so it's about we can get you and your supporters anywhere and, and make it a global uh, event as we see with the protests. So, you know, any sort of violence is that violent extremism leads into terrorism, whether it be violent rallies to terrorism attacks. They're all linked in the same group, I guess. So I guess after these arrests, there would be many agencies right around the world uh, thinking about a similar attack in their own local context. And that brings me to Australia, where the man convicted of planning terror attacks at some of our iconic landmarks, Abdul Ben Bricker, is about to be released from prison. Could someone like him be the conduit for similar terror attacks in Australia? Uh, so yes and no. So someone who he was uh, back at, in the early 2000s, 100%. Someone who he's now, no. Uh, but you look at uh, the Islamic State in um, Asia, so they're the offshoot of Jamaat Islamiyah, which was the Bali bombings, which killed 88 Australians. So there is a very strong um, Sunni Salafi violent extremist presence through Southeast Asia with the Abu Sayyaf group, uh, in, in Mindanao, the southern Philippines. Uh, we're lucky in Australia that our joint counterterrorism teams, which is a uh, amalgamation of the state law enforcement, the Australian Federal Police and your intelligence services, come together in each state, and they've stopped a number of high-profile incidents that most people won't know about. Uh, but I can promise you, at home, we monitor this. And we have liaison officers all around the world, and so do, like, the FBI has someone in Australia, Europol has someone in Australia, we have someone in Scotland Yard. So constantly within the intelligence community, we're sharing information amongst ourselves, and, and that's how we, uh, we can stop some of these attacks, which we've done in the past. Okay, I've got to take a break. I'll come back with you, Shane. There's plenty more to talk about including this article that I found fascinating. And I know that you have read about the similarities between Vladimir Putin and Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, we'll come back and talk about that and more with Shane Healy right after a break on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Well, the folks at Saturday Night Live were at it again last weekend, practicing their not-so-subtle anti-Semitism. This time, the mocking of Republican Elise Stefanik, who questioned three university presidents about Jewish genocide at a hearing. Ms. Stefanik. Thank you, Chairwoman. Now, I'm going to start screaming questions at these women like I'm Billy Eichner. Anti-Semitism, yay or nay? I'm sorry, what? Yes or no is calling for the genocide of Jews against the Code of Conduct for Harvard. Well, it depends on the context. <gasps> what? <laughs> that can't be your answer. And more. And keep in mind, if you don't say yes, you're going to make me look good, which is really, really hard to do. So I'll ask you straight up. Do you think genocide is bad? Remember I said SNL was at it again. This was 2021 Michael Shea. Israel is reporting that they vaccinated half of their population. And I'm going to guess it's the Jewish half. <laughs> A year prior, Shea said that the winner of the horrific uh, Miss Hitler contest was Miss Israel. He also, uh, when Donald Trump was president, by the way, called Donald Trump a bitch and a cracker. Very nice stuff. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Eggs. You can fry them, scramble them, poach them, boil them, or race them on a spoon. 
but uncooked eggs can be a risk for food poisoning. To be safe, avoid buying dirty or cracked eggs. Always wash your hands after handling eggs. And if you're concerned, pregnant, elderly or have a poor immune system, make sure you cook eggs until the yolk starts to firm. Or look for new pasteurised eggs. For excellent eggs, handle them safely. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. I've got former ADF intelligence officer Shane Healy on the line. Shane, the last time we spoke, you told us that there would be a request from the United States for Australia and other countries to join a multinational naval force, an armada, if you'd like to call it, in the Red Sea. By Monday, as I indicated to my listeners, the news had uh, gone out and now the Defence Minister has a decision to make. Mm. Why do we need such a fleet, firstly? So the global community needs a fleet to guarantee safe passage of commercial shipping. Uh, about 40 to 50% of the world's trade is shipped through those lanes. And mm-hmm. if they're disrupted, as if, uh, remember, I think it was like a year ago, the Panama Canal got blocked up, and that causes billions of dollars worth of economic damage downstream. So that's why we need an armada to stop any kind of uh, harassment or stoppage of that, that commercial shipping lanes. And it's in Australia's best interest to supply a warship. We've had one up there, you know, we've discussed this before, since 1990 to rotation 66, um, usually in the Persian Gulf. Um, this may, the, the decision point will become, can we afford to have two warships permanently uh, on deployment in the Persian Gulf, one in the Red Sea, one in the Persian Gulf, uh, as well as supporting the, we'll call it South China Sea Freedom Action, as well as our national security interests at home. That would seem to me, when you put it that way, that Australia will be stretched to the limit. We don't have a great naval force, do we? We've got a great naval force. We don't have great numbers. Uh, I'll defend the, uh, the the people serving. Yeah. But uh, you are right, and it's the work-rest ratio that comes into play. You know, I was only looking at the uh, ships in from Garden Island had, trying to have their Christmas break, thinking uh, not a lot of them will actually get their full stand-down this year because of uh, deployments, you know, they'll send sailors up to help with a natural disaster recovery. So, no, that's the thing. And it does take a toll on our sailors and service personnel, but we've got to do it to maintain international stability. I fear, as I said to one of my previous guests, Jason Morrison, that the Labor Party will be under pressure from the left side of um, the party to consider the fact that once they start sending ships to the Red Sea, They'll be seen by Islamists in that part of the world as being part of the Israeli problem, and we could be targeted. I don't think that we should be making decisions based on whether we're targeted or not. So I agree, and I was I was one of the first people into Iraq in 2014 for the counter-ISIS mission, and I remember Prime Minister Abbott at the time was very stringent for, for a number of weeks with no Australian ground troops on the, in Iraq, uh, and then he put a um, aviation task force up there. So I've been part of these strategic decisions, uh, and they're not taken lightly by either government. Uh, but it's usually what's in best for Australia's national interest. And if we can keep the threat deterrent offshore, then we don't have it. And we've been very lucky in Australia compared to the world. We haven't experienced. We've discussed this before. We haven't experienced war in our country. Mm. Let's keep fighting it offshore. Yeah. Um- Nine IDF soldiers were ambushed during the week. It made headlines everywhere by Hamas. Going back to what's happening on the ground in Gaza, how does something like that happen? So I've actually 
about half an hour before we came on here, uh, I spoke to a contact in Israel about this because it fascinates me. They're not just soldiers. They're a colonel, a couple of majors. They're actually the Ganali Brigade's command element. Right. And that just doesn't sound right to me. So what I found out is the numbers were higher. The officers' funerals have been broadcast, so they've released them. Uh, but one of the other words I got is that there's a massive delay in sanitization um, through the IDF media department of uh, IDF casualties. And that was from someone on the ground with the Israeli forces. So um, I assess that the numbers are high. And as someone who's been in these urban operations, the fact that a senior leadership group was inside a building fighting Hamas, that just doesn't pass the, the combat test. Uh, so they were clearly ambushed um, and there was a much bigger fight than we're led to believe. Right. There was an article published midweek too about the similarities between Russia's Vladimir Putin and Vladimir Putin and Israel's Benjamin Netanyahu. You read it. You made a point of passing it on to me. What are the similarities? So they're both um, men that were under political pressure and they needed to bring their countries together. Um, uh, Netanyahu's or under investigation currently in Israel now. I think he's got a 90% unapproval rating that the Israeli people actually don't like him. Mm. Um, and Putin was pretty much coming to the end. There was a lot of dissidents in Russia. And what better way to unite a country than have a common enemy or a common goal? And, you know, if Putin had have taken Ukraine in a week, as he thought, that could have rallied, look, we're, we've got new jobs, we've got more people. That hasn't happened. It's actually backfired on him. As this incursion with Israel is backfiring on Netanyahu, um, you know, if you read the Israeli papers, they're, they're looking to overthrow him now because of, you know, he, both of them, are, the International Criminal Court has charged both of them with war crimes. So they're, they're in the, you know, they're the only two world leaders currently that are actual war criminals. Interesting. You know, this is one of the reasons that people are arguing that Benjamin Netanyahu is going so hard because, you know, if he fails in his promise to get rid of Hamas, so so will his prime ministership and so will his political career, right? Yeah, 100%. And we've spoken about that. And again, if Hamas are conducting attacks in the Netherlands and in Germany, how's Netanyahu going to put the idea there? Now, yes, Mossad are known for those operations. But he, he can't beat an ideology. And that's what we've been saying for, for weeks is he may get good kill counts. It's the same as we had in Fallujah and, and Mosul and ISIS is still around. You've got to defeat an ideology and he's not going to break the Palestinian people, which is now being seen by humanitarian. The world's turning on him. Yeah. One quick one before we let you go. We've had news overnight that the US Senate approved the AUKUS agreement and the transfer of covert nuclear information. Are there any other barriers to come? Yeah, so, uh, and I worked on this problem set when I first got out of defence. So the biggest one is um, ITAR, so the International Traffic in Arms Regulations, which we can't get a lot of the uh, information of US technology. The Australian government is signed to a number of uh, non-proliferation treaties around nuclear weapons and nuclear technology. Uh, that hasn't been, hasn't been sorted out in any of the agreements. Neither has the no-fawn information. So... Uh, US secret or top secret information like their um, communication systems and stuff. But I think the positive is for both parties, it's increasing our cap the Five Eyes capability 
in that counter China environment uh, by a number of submarines. I think it's a good move for Australia. It's a good move for America. And it's, it's what we've been doing for seven years. Great analysis as usual, mate. It's always good to talk about this at the end of the week because we get across so much material during it and it's great to get a full summary of how each story and how each development links into the other. Shane Healy, we thank you very much for your time. Anytime, Chris. Thank you. Good on you, former ADF intelligence uh, officer, Shane Healy. Now, just before I go, um, be, being a, a Friday in Australia right now and almost a Friday in the United States, um, Saturday is racing day. And for those of you who may have owned racehorses in the past, you know how these things work. Uh, you might be part of a group of 30, so you own half a hoof, um, but it's a whole heap of fun. And part of that fun is to get the trainer who sends you um, a little bit of an audio snippet during the week about how your runner is going. But according to a particular podcast by the name of The Reggies, they may have found the worst racehorse ever run. Um, they've come across a trainer uh, in uh, Victoria, Mick Price is his name, who was so fed up with a horse by the name of Tugcoat Cliffy that he told the owners that they should get rid of it. Now, have a listen very carefully. This might be your horse in the future if you want to own one. Keep away from Tugcoat Cliffy. Go at this. Mick Price trains in Victoria. Very, very well established um, stable in Victoria. Now, if you're part of any racehorse ownership, you'll know this. But uh, for those who aren't, you get updates from trainers, right? Um, have a listen to this from Mick Price describing one of the horses he's got in his stables. Tugcoat Cliffy, boys. No good. Um, too slow. It's just too slow. It's embarrassingly slow. Not, the, not Michaela Lawrence's fault, no one's fault. Um, been beaten out of sight his last two. We're giving the benefit of the doubt that he may have improved, but I think he's got slower. Uh, I don't think there's enough laps on a race course for him to ever win a race, and I think he should be, I don't want to swear, but I think he should be f***ed off as soon as we can um, <laughs> get an email back from you guys which says, please release me from my pain. And um, the girl that strapped him, Shannon, she's a lovely kid down there. Uh, she wants him as a equestrian horse. So if you guys could give me the uh, permission to um, sign it over to her for $1 and um, she'll get some change, um, that will be done. Thank you. Oh, that's f***ing unreal. <laughs> That's sometimes what happens. I had a horse once. I, I spent, I think it was $400 to own, you know, one quarter of a hoof, and it never actually got on the track. It was that bad. This happens. <laughs> but you'll get change out of $1. <laughs> That's a trainer who's lost faith in your runner. Now, very quickly, a North Carolina mum used a popular but controversial tracking app to catch her son having sex with his high school teacher in her Ah, according to the New York Post, the unidentified parent had installed Life 360 on her son's device and grew suspicious after she was alerted to his absence from rugby practice. Instead, the app curiously showed that he was idling near a local park. The mother drove to the location and found him with a 26-year-old teacher in the back seat. After taking several pictures of the educator's vehicle and license plate, the shock mother called police to the scene and 
the teacher was taken into custody. It's called Life 360. If you really want to spy on your kids, I don't think I want to know. Um, that's it for me. I will leave you in the capable hands of Dean Mackin and Katie Hopkins coming up after that. You have a fabulous weekend. We will catch each other at the same time on Monday. Yes, right here on TNT Radio.